Man's coming to awareness is inseparably bound to his consciousness of space and time. John Gebser. Welcome to this episode on John Gebser and the structures of consciousness. So this is an introduction to the pioneering work of John Gebser and his five structures of consciousness. And you can find my accompanying article in the description. I like to think of this as psychoactive philosophy, and you'll see why when we start talking about it. Important to know about John Gebser when we talk about the structures of consciousness, that though in many ways it's very similar to other models like spiral dynamics and integral theory and many other stage models of human development, Gebser was working, he published his magnum opus right in the aftermath of the Second World War. So one of humanity's great catastrophes. And his work reflects that. Suffusing his philosophy are these kind of fatalistic undertones and this sensitivity to hierarchy and ranking. Even though he talks about structures of consciousness and he talks about talks about them in a kind of chronological order, um, he is very clear that one is not better than the other, and they they all they all are are very very valid in their own right, and this is going to be important as we go along here, and as you start to see the structures in yourself, Gebser studied the expression of the three major perspectives and each of the five structures of consciousness through the ages in art and in culture, mainly that's where he drew a lot of his findings from. Although I want you to keep in mind that these structures aren't merely, merely historical phenomena and they're too wide ranging and they're, they last too long to narrow down to specific events or turning points. Let's talk a bit more about his non-developmental view, really important. He calls these structures of consciousness mutations. That's a word he uses throughout his work, mutations. And he resists, he resists defining on the stages or levels. He sees all these structures to be latent in us. And he sees them as these mutations as things that occur to us, changes that occur to us, not that things that we attain or reach. And this is really important because, um, you know, the, the great updraft is about personal development and a lot of the, my viewers are interested in personal development. And I talk about other growth models that are often used in a personal development context. And we think that we're reaching something that we are, we are the active players and Gibbs are saying that that's not the case. And I won't go into whether I agree with that or not right now, but it's a very interesting point of view. I also think there's a bit, certain amount of hypocrisy in Gebser's work, and that's not, that sounds really negative and terrible. I don't mean that. I don't mean it in such a negative way. And this appears in Jeremy Johnson's work. He's sort of a contemporary of Gebser. And basically, this denial of hierarchy, although they say it, they also are guilty of putting hierarchies into the model. For example, the, in Johnson's work, he focuses a lot on the downsides of modernity, which is one of the five structures that we're going to look at. And 
basically his whole thing is about how do we get rid of the rational structure or its dominance and how do we move into the integral structure so they they're he denies progress yet he sort of proclaims the need for a new age and he yearns for it and he's talking about how we can bring it about so there's a certain amount of clashing here and i guess in my mind a way to balance the two viewpoints whether it is development or it's not whether they are better than each other or not is simply not to get involved in the argument in the first place and just say that the structures have positive and negative expressions and aspects in different contexts and in that sense we can see them as all necessary and all valuable and that they all have their downsides and their upsides and that in certain contexts some are better than others but it's not an absolute judgment like oh, this one's always better that one's always worse it's not i think we can get around that by making that little distinction there Gebser's always got also got a spiritual basis for his structures of consciousness so he underpins everything he says with the idea of origin which is really his name for source spirit or god and he describes that as that which pervades or shines through everything including our own identity and he views these structures as a series of mutations of origin within us and through us and yeah a really interesting philosophical basis for these and it's actually not philosophical because once you see origin in yourself you can see that it does light up all these different structures of consciousness that you rely on so let's get to the three meta perspectives and the five structures i'll just say before we do this that there's three meta perspectives and within those are the five structures so the first meta perspective is unperspectival and basically at this level of perspective we're entirely identified with the world we don't stand apart from the world and look at it as an object look at it as something separate from us as something we can study um and this dominates in, in in the modern world this dominates in infants mainly in infants not just in infants but mainly in the past though this these structures the three unperspectival structures dominate for thousands of years and really <laughs> the later meta perspectives or the 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 fourth and the fifth structures of consciousness these are actually really new if you look at the historical timeline um, and we're going to talk about that a bit more i just want to say that this isn't this isn't enlightenment this isn't conscious spiritual mm, unity with god this is more like to give an example babies have no sense of separate identity from the world but it's not they are not conscious of this they are not conscious that they are a they are something and they are one with the world there's really a an unconscious oneness in the sense that the oneness is just there and there's no self there's no reflexive awareness involved and so i don't want this is a point that ken wilber makes we don't want to elevate the unperspectival to the aperspectival or to the spiritual we want to see it as it is as a perfectly legitimate structure without over elevating it beyond what it is but also realizing that it's still very much alive in, within us and the three structures within the unperspectival meta perspective 
are all alive within us. As Gebser says, man's lack of spatial awareness is attended by a lack of ego consciousness, since in order to objectify and quantify space, a self-conscious I is required that is able to stand opposite or confront space, end quote. So let's look at the first structure of consciousness, and this is an unperspectival stage. This is called archaic. Now in Greek, this is archaic, forgive my pronunciation, which means inception or origin. And what Gebser means by this is that all future structures of consciousness exist in potential, but there's no real structure of consciousness as a conscious reflexive entity. As a human, if you're in this stage, there's a real, there's an absolute non-differentiation between you and the world, and you exist in a kind of formless slumber, a formless oneness, but that isn't aware. It's like, this is what you see in young babies when they really have no, they have no sense of identity, they have no emotional life, they have no sort of control over their body, they have no way of meeting their needs, they don't know who you are. That's archaic, as we see it in the modern world. But this dominated for roughly 150 to 200,000 years, ending about 30 years ago, 30,000 years ago, I mean. And its cultural manifestations are pretty much non-existent. It was at the end of this stage when we, when we start seeing art, for example, human expression. But although there's not much to say about this stage because it's it's so pre-verbal, pre-linguistic, pre-anything that we can really remember experiencing. I think we can sort of integrate archaic as modern human beings and as growing people by becoming enlightened, basically. <laughs> Not that we're going to regress back to archaic, but that we're going to integrate the basic perspective of archaic, which is of absolute non-differentiation. And to do that, we need to go back to our origin, our original face, as the Buddhists would call it, as the ground of all being, which is, you know, there's a million names for it in the world's spiritual systems. And this is like the substrate of archaic consciousness. Even though the conscious awareness of it is not there, that's what it is with no self-reflection. And we can make it conscious by basically becoming enlightened, by, if you want to put it, very bluntly. Archaic is represented by a zero-dimensional emptiness, representing the sort of unqualifiability of this stage. Great, moving on to the second unperspectival structure, and this is magic. Now, this is our first move towards sort of having a world, being aware of a world, rather than being defined by it or totally infused with it. And in an etymological sense, magic means make. So this is when we started seeing humans making tools, permanent structures, art, this kind of thing. It's when humans started discovering intentionality. And as Gebser says, to have, to have art, to have creation, to, have, to create something, we need to have a sense of directionality. We have to have some sort of sense of time and realize that Time is linear in some sense. We need to know, right, our actions now will, will build up and we can actually create something. We need to have intentionality. We need to see that the world is somehow separate from us. And so we can see that in sort of early human art, that's when human consciousness started to come online. 
Although, having said that, life continues to be egolessness, spaceless and timeless, and we feel merged with nature. We now see separate objects, so we're not just completely, the world isn't just like a soup, and we are in that soup. It's more like, the world, things are starting to separate out now, but we, we confuse objects with their symbols of them, which we'll come back to, and things like the human and the animal and the celestial are all one. And we can see that in early art, for example, with, you know, structures of half human, half lion or human with a lion's head or any kind of mixture like that, is that the magic structure doesn't perceive a huge difference between human and animal and celestial, which is actually kind of a great thing when we bring it back. Gebser says of the magic structure that each and everything intertwines and is interchangeable. So all objects, all points in time, all events and actions, they all sort of magically interpenetrate with one another. So this is like voodoo is a good example. It's like sticking pins in <laughs> an inanimate object that represents that person will actually damage that person or any other things that voodoo does. That's magical. It's the magical structure at work. But magic, we also sort of believe that we can bend reality to our imagination in this magical way because the two are actually perceived as inseparable. For example, young children think that they can acquire superpowers by putting a Superman suit on. They also think that their imaginary friend is actually a real thing because it exists in their imagination. And they think that other people can, can see that friend, can speak to that friend. Young children also can't differentiate real human beings and events, human events, from things like Santa Claus, cartoon characters and fairy tales. So there's like just a basic confusion of reality with imagination. And this is really, again, it's really a result of the fact that the world, we haven't developed a fully separated identity from the world, it's still merged. And so when the imagination comes online in early childhood, that just becomes part of the world and we're not really seeing that the two aren't completely compatible. However, having said all that, we might integrate magic as modern adults by realizing that nothing really is separate from us and that the internal world of our emotions, our thoughts, our beliefs, our intentions, our desire, isn't really inside after all. And the outer world of sight and sounds and objects and people isn't really outside. So the internal isn't really inside and the out, the external isn't really outside from our subjective point of view. If you don't, if you can't grasp that, if that doesn't make sense, meditation and spiritual practice will show you this, that really your subjective experience is one entire thing and it includes your experience of the objective world. Does this mean that we can fly because we put a suit on? No, it doesn't. But as adults, we can see that actually everything, our, our intentions are very powerful. And this, for example, the manifest your reality movement, like this sort of self-help movement, it's quite popular at the moment, is actually based on a fundamental human truth. And that is the truth of the self-fulfilling prophecy, that what we think becomes an emotion what our emotions become actions 
and our actions become reality. And so it's not a magical interconnection and a magical manifestation, but it's a more mature way of realizing that actually our thoughts, our emotions, maybe they aren't really separate from the world in a way. And maybe they're much more powerful than, say, the rational structure would have us believe. Besides, in a very basic sense, what goes around comes around and thoughts are things. Everything we believe in all of our actions, we might think that we're separate from the world and we're separate from other people. Really, um, things come back to us. Everything we do has an effect. And I think realizing that is a way of integrating magic as a modern human being. Magic is represented by a one-dimensional point which represents the tentative self-sense and a world of infinitely exchangeable points. Great, let's move on to the mythic. And this is, Gebser's literature is pretty thin on this, I have to be honest. This is the third structure, the third unperspectival structure and the third structure overall. What Gebser does say is that a new sense of time comes online at mythic. Time was now cyclical and rhythmical and actually in in Up From Eden, Ken Wilber talks about this coming online. Um, when humans started farming um, in a systematic way and they realized that <laughs> every year, you know, we'd have the seasons and the crops would die and we'd have to replant them and then we'd get the harvest. That's associated with the mythic structure. And that's what human beings come aware of. That's what we become aware of in, as, as individuals. And it's what human beings became aware of in historical time as well is the rhythm, the rhythm of life, the rhythm of the seasons, of the stars, the sun, the moon, the natural world, that there's a rhythmicity to life. And that comes online at, at Mythic. The world is now two-dimensional and two-sided, full of complementary polarities like yin and yang, night and day, good and bad. And actually bringing together things I've read about other models of human consciousness, I would actually say the idea of of our group versus the outside group. So it's ethnocentricity comes online. As I was talking about this two-sidedness, it's it's now we identify with a group and there's the other group, the others, the others that aren't part of our group. And one is good, we are good, and the others are bad. And this is absolutely active in the world today. This structure is also rich in symbols and images. So this is if we look at mythic art, for example, this is very obvious. And the symbols are actually becoming separate from what from what they represent, which wasn't uh, which wasn't true at magic. So there's a loss of the magic consciousness in the mythic structure. Gebser does say though that the essential character of, of mythic is the emergence of soul or beginning self-awareness. Now, from what I've read on Gebser's work. It's actually not very clear what he means by soul, but I just think it's a, a slightly more separated sense of self and the self is actually becoming, you know, more differentiated from the world around it. You know, our imagination is not blended with the objects around us. We don't think that we can just think something into existence and so on. And if you look at mythical culture, like, you know, the great empires and mythical astronomy and so on, going back to early astronomy, there's an awareness of the large, larger cosmos and its workings. And this is really just another sign that we're separating from the world, that we can see the world as a separate thing and that we can analyze it. 
And this really comes to fruition in the mental. So let's look at what is the only perspectival mode of consciousness. We've had three unperspectival stages. Now let's look at the only perspectival stage, which is mental. And this is the, the fourth structure of consciousness. So this comes online when we subjectively differentiate from the surrounding world. Space opens up and becomes three-dimensional. Time becomes mechanical, linear, and measurable. And the world sort of loses its enchantment as we start to see that the world is actually measurable and concrete. And for the first time, I think we're aware of our smallness as a human being because we're fully separated. We see that the world is actually way bigger than, say, the human body is and that our subjective sense of self is. And so there's a real focus on the self now. We want self-determination. We want autonomy, expression. We want to overcome the obstacle of time, of the, the obstacle of linear time, which has a certain limit to it. We start to possess and study the world rather than being merged with it. This is like, this correlates with the rise of the scientific evolution. So people like Galileo, Copernicus, Kepler, these early astronomers, this is when this structure really came online in a cultural sense. And, you know, objective evidence, objective ways of understanding the world, rationality, clock-like order, um, the world seems to go past the future, left to right. So all this, all this may seem very familiar to you, but realize that this in yourself wasn't always the case, especially when you were at, down at magic, for example. And also for human beings, this certainly wasn't the case for tens of thousands of years, as we've looked at here. The negative side of this rational stage is there's a sort of narrowing of our awareness and the unperspectival tends to get rejected. Anything that isn't objective and rational tends to get rejected. Anything that denies the, the concrete nature of reality is rejected. Um, and also something that Gebser goes on a bit about is that we can focus now on certain parts, on certain perspectives of reality and compare them. And we tend to fall in love with our own favorite perspective of reality. And he actually says that this is a huge problem in the modern world where we can surround ourselves with one one or two little perspectives and that gets inflated and inflated and inflated through like social media algorithms and so on that just show us what we want to hear. And we lose the fact that that's just one perspective. And uh, this, is a, this is a downside of perspectival thinking. It's like an inflation of perspectival thinking. Gebser is very scathing of this mode of consciousness, the rational, the perspectival. And I can understand this because he's coming from the end of the Second World War. I also think he really fails in a way to integrate it and to see the good sides. And I'd say that without perspectival, we can't go into a perspectival. We can't crawl out of unperspectival and go into a perspectival without the perspectival stage. That's just how human development works and but th we've this structure of consciousness has completely changed we can now analyze understand the world make generalizations spot trends patterns systems this type of thinking is behind science medicine technology and it's 
it's completely revolutionized humanity. At the same time, it also brings deep angst. It tends to disenchant the world, as I said, and basically, <laughs> without going into too much detail, it's painful to maintain a separate self that's at the mercy of linear time. And as Gibson says, we become aware of the emptiness of space. It's no longer alive and connected. We're connected with it. No, we're disconnected from it. We're disconnected from everything around us. And this brings a disenchantment and a sense of emptiness and angst. And this has been well talked about in the religious traditions for thousands of years. Rational is represented by a triangle, which represents point of view and distance from our object of awareness. Great, let's look at the aperspectival structure, which is integral. So we've had three unperspectival structures. We've had the one perspectival structure, which is rational. And now we're looking at the aperspectival, which is integral. And in Gebser's work, he usually mixes these a little bit because the, the integral structure is the only aperspectival mode of consciousness. Gebser says about the aperspectival, quote, in truth, we wear the whole and the whole wears us, end quote. Now, wear, my understanding means to consciously be with. It's a very old fashioned word. And even in the dictionary, there was no verb. Uh, with this definition, but that's what I've come to understand it, or to be aware of, to consciously be with. The next, this is the next structure after rational, and what happens is is a, almost a return to archaic, but in a, it's not going back the way it's going forward. It's a reintegration of all the previous stages, and. Um, a sort of deconstruction of our sense of identity, but also integrating all the previous structures. So, for example, archaic is complete merging with the world, and there's no sense of self, there's no sense of being apart from the world, but there's also no conscious unity with the world, which is really what spiritual enlightenment is all about. At and also art. Archaic doesn't have access to magic, to mythic, to rational, or to integral. It's just archaic. Like a young baby doesn't have access to all the higher levels. However, if you're at the integral stage, you have access to all those previous previous levels. And hopefully, although some developmentalists would disagree with Gebser, you have access to that. It's not that you have access to archaic in the sense that it's your dominant mode of consciousness and in the sense that archaic is the goal or it's the highest level, because it's not, but it's the the pure oneness of archaic. You have access to that in a conscious sense at the perspectival structure. So in the integral mutation, Gebser called a mutation, we develop a new form of time and space. Gebser calls this time freedom, space freedom. So our identity expands beyond the personal and the perspectival into the origin itself. So we actually become consciously identified with the origin. We're also, it's atemporal. So we're actually aware of the aliveness of the past and the presence of the future at the same time and how past, present and future all coexist and interact with each other. This phase is neither psychic nor mental nor magic, nor is it free of them. It's actually 
an amalgamation of them all and it enables them all to be. And this really dovetails nicely with what Spiral Dynamics says. Spiral Dynamics talks about flex flow. If you don't know what Spiral Dynamics is, it's some, a different perspective on hum, human development, focusing on different aspects, but it does have an integral level and it talks about flex flow consciousness where we can actively integrate all the previous levels. And this is exactly what Gebser said before Spiral Dynamics existed. And Jeremy Johnson says that to see the previous levels alive in ourselves is simply a requirement for this level. Without it, we're not really at the integral stage. And he suggests that a way of doing that is simply to be very present in every moment to what is unfolding within us. And within us, meaning in our subjective world, but also in our objective world, as it is not separate from us. Anyway, we are really living the world, part of the world, in a sort of magical intermingling, but also realizing that we actually do have our own sense of self and our own subjective world. So like a, as well as a, the, the archaic, it's also a magical reintegration of magic. I would actually call this a worldly monk. You know, it's not shutting ourselves away and meditating in, in a a monastery somewhere, although that can be powerful. It's actually being present in every moment and being present of the spiritual in every moment as a conscious lived reality, um, no matter what we're doing and not as in a pre-conscious slumber, like an archaic, we're actually being the whole, we are wearing the whole as it appears as us and as the many, as, as, as the world around us. As Jeremy Johnson says, one of the prerequisites for Gebser's integral consciousness is the lived experience of concretization. That is, an awareness that the previous structures are very much alive, though latent in the present, end quote. And I think that's really beautiful. And that's a, a call for us to integrate absolute, absolutely all of our humanity, all of our previous, everything that we've gone through on our developmental journey to integrate it all and to see that it's actually all still here. Integral is actually represented by a sphere because it's multi-perspectival and it sees all time forms along with the spiritual reality that permeates them. And just to finish with a quote by Jeremy Johnson again, quote, we have been roused to wakefulness in the mental, that means in the rational, but in the integral we are being initiated into the lucidity of origin, end quote. Really beautiful description there. So this has gone on quite a while, you know, these these stages are and these structures are take a bit of explanation. I just want to end with a bit of a call to action here and to put this into a bigger context. So when Gebser wrote this, he really saw humanity on the brink of an, an integral age. And really the more work that gets done in de developmental psychology, the, the bigger the, the group of people that believe this is growing and the, the, the more evidence there exists for that happening. And it's a call to each of us to actually become integral, to become a perspectival. And what does that mean? Well, we've said it means mastering each structure. And if you want more details on these structures, go to the website and search development, search spiral dynamics, search altitudes of development, 
search for anything that where I'm talking about the structures of consciousness, and you're going to really get a really good understanding of these structures in yourself. We want to reintegrate them all. So it's not just mastering each structure and becoming only that structure. It's actually seeing where does that structure, where's that structure necessary in my life? Where's it present? Where am I not integrating it? And where can I more consciously embody it to live a better life and just to be a more full human being and to be truly integral? Things like meditation, introspection, shadow work, seeing the limitations of the rational structure because we're in modern times, we're really knee deep, neck deep and rational. And I'm talking about this stuff, these structures, but I can see I'm very deep in rationality as well. And that's the call to action is to see the limitations of the rational, to reintegrate it and to become integral while also retaining the beauty of the rational structure. So this is also a call to come over to the great updraft. The members area I've got is full of top quality resources. That's for personal development. But the special thing about it is the, the personal development I promote is very integrative and I try and bring in insights from all over the place. And also I work with various levels of various structures of consciousness. So it's, it's really multi-level stuff. And really our ultimate goal at the great updraft is to become, is to become integral and beyond, to become spiritual beings, to become beacons of light onto the world. And the, the members area is full of resources that will help you do that. So do come and check that out. And I also invite you to come and check out the accompanying, accompanying article on the website. It's got a lot more detail than I've been able to go into here. So if you want to deepen your knowledge of these structures and of Gebser's work, check out right now and make sure you subscribe for the latest videos and I'll see you soon.